I hope that your hearts are open to what uh, Jesus wants to do today. Um, each Easter of Fortis is a wonderful opportunity to kind of go back to some big themes of our faith. And so this morning, I love that we sang, the cross is the final word. And there's this work that Christ did on the cross that we should never grow tired of hearing about because he went to the cross on purpose, on mission, so that we could be freed from the mastery of sin in our lives. And that cross is, is a wonderful thing. Uh, the good news is, though, that he didn't stay on that cross, amen, right? He didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. And not only that, we are told he rose from the dead as the first fruits of what's to come, that we too who put our faith in Christ will one day experience that same resurrection power and we too will be raised uh, from, the, from the dead. And praise be to Jesus, our Savior, amen, forever and ever. I mean, he reigns forever and ever and he's, uh, you know, compassionate and his mercies are new every morning and he has the ability and the power and the will and the heart to save to the uttermost those of us who are placing our, our faith in him. To me, this is Easter. This is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. He is risen, you say? All right. That was a pretty good warm-up. You're going to get about five or six more opportunities. And so I'd like you to say that with a little bit more gusto, like it's actually affected your life. So he is risen? He is risen. Yeah. For a few moments this morning, I want to talk with you on believe. You know, we need to believe in Jesus. And I, I, I was thinking about this, and, and it, it, one of the first themes you see in the early church was this call to believe. So it's after Jesus has ascended uh, to heaven, and the 120 are gathered in the upper room. They're praying, they're seeking God, and they're crying out to God, and God comes on them in the person of the Holy Spirit and fills that place with his power and his presence, and these ones in the upper room spill out into the streets of Jerusalem. It was the Feast of Pentecost, and all kinds of people were there from all kinds of nations and areas, and these people begin to utter the wonders of God in the tongues of the people visiting there, and it was a miraculous moment. It was a, it was a power-filled moment, and and the people are, um, are receptive. Their hearts are open to Jesus, evidently. And, and Peter gets up and preaches a powerful message. And they say, what must we do? Their hearts were rend. And Peter says, what? Believe. It's like the first word uttered to the church. Believe. You need to believe who Jesus is. You need to believe without any doubts. And then, of course, he says, be baptized too as a sign that you believe but this morning we're going to focus for a few moments on this big idea that the church is called to believe believe in Jesus and I tagged on there it makes sense and you'll see why I tagged that on there in a few moments so I want to walk us through four quick reasons this morning that encourage us that direct us that take us towards belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But ultimately, hear this, please. Ultimately, this is a faith issue. Ultimately, you have to get to the place in your life where you just say what? I believe. I believe. I believe. But let's be encouraged towards that belief this morning by looking at these four factors that kind of take us towards belief. Two historians of the time of Jesus Christ Tectus of Rome and Josephus of the Jews. They wrote about Jesus and Christianity. So this is kind of outside the Christian circles. 
This is outside Christian literature. This is outside the Bible. These men wrote about Jesus and wrote about history during the time of Jesus. When I first heard about Flavius Josephus, I was so fascinated by this person, I bought his four volumes, which I dropped on the floor this morning. This is his writing of history at the time of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting to read. Now, he is not a Christian. He's a Jew. And I found it really fascinating what he wrote specifically concerning Jesus, which we'll get to in a moment. But these writings by Josephus have proven to be so accurate that uh, I was reading how excavators used his writings for history to know where to dig in sites like the fortress built by Herod the Great to guide them in their digs to go to the uh, right spot to find certain artifacts and all that. So his history has proven to be very accurate, all right? And I found it interesting that he wrote these words in volume number four. It's just kind of like you're reading through this and he's talking about Pontius Pilate coming to Jerusalem and Pontius Pilate uh, doing the unthinkable. He, He comes to Jerusalem and he brings a whole bunch of basically Roman imagery, Roman statues, and starts putting them around Jerusalem, and the people were just hot under the collar. You don't do this in Jerusalem. You don't put false images up in Jerusalem. And Pontius Pilate came in there and was doing that kind of thing. And then in the middle of that kind of history, uh, you know, uh, that he's talking about, he says, now, there was about this time, the time that Pontius Pilate had showed up, that's about this time, he says, there was about this time, Jesus A wise man, if it's lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets have foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of the Christians, so named from him, are not extinct to this day. And then he goes on in history and just starts writing about the other history. I'm going, what? I don't know what you think of that. This is just something else. Here you have this Jewish historian who's not Christian, just matter-of-factly stating what happened during that time. And I don't know about you, but I go, wow, that encourages me to believe. It can't be the basis of why I believe, but it encourages me to go that direction in my bent. He is risen, you say? Then we're going to turn to the Romans, and we're going to turn to this ancient Roman historian, Tacitus. He was also a historian at the time of Christ, only he was a senator in Rome, and he wrote history from a Roman perspective. He makes a mention of Christ and Christianity and Jesus' death on the cross, and he does all that in his writings. And I did the, a fatal mistake for hour. I kind of read what he wrote, and it's really old English. And everybody's going, what? I could see they didn't know what that meant. So I'm just going to summarize this for you, okay? So one of the parts of his writings that really impacts me is when he wrote about Nero, who was a Roman emperor that came after the time of Christ, and it showed that this Christian movement was really gaining traction and becoming a, 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 a group to be dealt with in that culture. And so Nero, uh, we're told, started a fire in Rome. And in order to shift blame from himself for starting this fire, he decided to blame the Christian movement. And it took this as an opportunity then uh, to torture Christians 
also. And as he's writing he, he, about this fire uh, of Nero and the torturing and the persecution of Christians, Tacitus says, you know, um, during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our uh, procurators, Pontius Pilate, there's a reference to Pontius Pilate again, uh, uh, um, Basically, they dealt with what he called a most mischievous superstition. That was Tacitus' uh, reference to Christianity and the crucifixion. And he said that kind of stilled the movement for a moment, but it again broke out, not only in Judea, but it spread to Rome. And so he's talking about Christianity even in this kind of casual way as he's talking about uh, Nero and what Nero was doing. And then Nero went on, we're told, to torture Christians accused of, start, of starting the fire. And mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. They were covered with skins of beasts. They were torn by dogs and perished, or they were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination. What he means by that is that, that, that the Christians were covered in animal skins, and they were put up on poles and set on fire to light, basically, uh, Nero's dinner parties. All right? You get any picture of what's going on? Um, even the criminals of that time who deserved extreme and exemplary punishment, there arose among even these folk a compassion for the Christians. For it seemed to them it was not in the public good that these were being done, but instead to glut one man's cruelty, they were being destroyed. So now, knowing this history from Tacitus, I went over to Hebrews chapter 11, where it gives us an account of those who have been faithful to God it's kind of the Hall of Fame chapter on the faithful. And part of that uh, chapter talks about how some were tortured and killed for their faith. It sounds very familiar to what Tacitus has said. Listen to this. It's from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 to 38. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in what? Sheepskins and goatskins. Destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And I say amen to that. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. So what we see here is ancient historians who wrote at the time of Christ, Flavius Josephus and Tacitus, they just validate and verify the accuracy of the Bible and the story of Jesus Christ, of his life and of his crucifixion and of his resurrection. So I, I look at these guys and they encourage me to, in my belief of Jesus Christ. They encourage me that direction. He is risen, you say? Well, let's move on from the historians to the eyewitnesses of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I talked on this last week, so I'm going to just give you an abbreviated kind of point today, but it's worth going back and visiting again. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Jesus, 500. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-8. through 8. Listen to this. For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he is buried, that he was raised in the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. That's a lot of, that's a lot of eyewitnesses. 
right? Of the resurrected Jesus Christ. I grew up with some really interesting friends. Some of you maybe had that same experience. So I had some interesting friends. And one of these interesting friends was my best friend for many years. And he told some unbelievable stories at times. I remember he would start saying something. I'm going, that can't be true. That can't be true. And I begin to realize I, I love him, but it's eh, credibility. Yeah, so-so, right? And so I asked him to be one of my groomsmen in our wedding when Vicky and I were getting married, which proved to be uh, a mistake. The day of the wedding, if I remember right, or the day before, I can't recall, but he calls me up and says, I can't make the wedding I've had. I've had ingrown toenail surgery. And I, I remember saying to him, really? Was this an emergency? Did you have to do it on the day I have my wedding? What's going on? But I remember thinking, I should have known better because that's kind of who he was. I love him. And I loved him as a friend, but he just was such a storyteller. And I never knew if it was a real story or not. And so sometimes, you know what, we think, and we can look at something like the Bible and the story of Christ, and a lot of people say it's just a, a story made up by imaginative people. Like these people were like my friend. They were just making up a story. I, I want to tell you, that, that just should gain no traction at all. Because when you have this amount of witnesses, it's unbelievable verification. It's unbelievable witness to what really happened. It would be hard. It's hard enough to get all of you to come on time here, amen? Can you imagine trying to get 500 people to say the same story? How difficult that would be, really? You know, unless they actually what? Witnessed it. They actually saw it. And so when I look at all these eyewitnesses, I, it encourages me in my belief, in my believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen, you say? Well, I like history and I like the fact that there's a lot of eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but let's put, uh, let's put this encouragement on some steroids now. Let's talk on some things that you go, oh, wow, 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 wow. Um, let me give you the point, first of all. It's point number three. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ is just full of amazing prophetic fulfillment. Just full of amazing prophetic fulfillment that supports then the truth of it. One such example is Psalm 22 of the Old Testament. It's considered a messianic prophetic psalm. It foretells what's going to happen on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ specifically. Listen to verses 16 through 18. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Now you've got to remember, King David wrote this. This didn't happen to King David. This was a Masonic, I just said that wrong, Messianic, now I got it right. Forget I said Masonic, that's like the lodge, don't do that. Throw that out of your, throw that thing, cast it out of your mind right now. Anyway, this was a, a, a foretelling of uh, what was going to happen to uh, uh, Jesus Christ, God's son. And so then if you go to um, Matthew chapter 27, verses 35 through 36, these words are said about Jesus. 
when they crucified him, now what that means is they what? Pierced his hands, pierced his feet. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, what did they do? They kept watch over him there. Now, when Psalms 22 says, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me, all King David was saying was people who aren't Jews were surrounding me. And they didn't have my best interest in mind, so to speak. And who surrounded Jesus at his crucifixion? Romans, the Roman guard. And, and these ones were the ones that watched over him. This is an amazing example of prophetic fulfillment. I mean, the Bible's full of these examples. It's, they're hard to ignore once you get to know the Bible. I mean, you start reading about the life and the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's predicted and foretold all over the place in the Bible. At Christmas time, we often talk about Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where we're told by that minor prophet that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Where was he born? In Bethlehem. Then you go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and it tells us that he would be born of a virgin. Then you go over to Luke chapter 1 in the New Testament, and we're told that he was born to Mary, a virgin. Right? Then you go to Zechariah chapter 11 and we're told that he would be sold or betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And then you go over to Matthew chapter 27 of the New Testament and we read how Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus Christ for how much? 30 pieces of silver. There's just amazing prophetic fulfillment in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Recently, I read this book called Grown Up Faith by Kevin Myers. Kevin Myers is the pastor of 12 Stone Church in Atlanta, Georgia, which is a large Wesleyan church. And it's a really good book. We're probably going to do a series from this book uh, using it as an outline in 2020. We plan out quite a ways, you know, here. But it's just, I think, so, so fundamental that we grow up in our faith and know who we are and get firmly established. And that's what this book is about. And in the book, he uses an example about how Jesus it was no accident. That his life and fulfillment of prophecy was not even close to being anywhere near accidental. And he, and he used um, some analogies and arguments that I've heard used multiple times before. And I've even used them here at church before, but never to this degree. And so I thought I would just share uh, some of this with you this morning when it comes about uh, this, uh, when we talk about this idea, could Christ have accidentally fulfilled prophecy about himself? So looking at just uh, eight prophecies, okay, just eight prophecies this morning of Christ, saying, could they be produced by accident? Well, the odds of them being produced by accident, what I've read and what he said in his book, is one over 10 followed by 17 zeros. That's the probability of them happening precisely the way they've been written by accident. That's one over 100 quadrillion, okay, if you want to use them label 100 quadrillion if nothing else you learned a large numbers name today 100 quadrillion all right and i i know that the number seems like really large so let me give you a visualization of what this number would look like if the the, the 100 quadrillion were turned into silver dollars they would cover the state of texas two feet deep now you go and take a coin and you mark any coin just mark it with a mark and throw it in the middle of that pile of coins in the state of Texas. Now you convince a good friend or somebody 
you know, that you trust. You blindfold them. You say, I'm going to drop you anywhere in the state of Texas. You get to pick one coin. The odds of picking the marked coin are one over 100 quadrillion. In other words, basically what? It's an impossibility. And statistically speaking, to have eight prophecies about Christ fulfilled precisely, it's basically impossible. And that's the point of that little exercise, to see that he is no accident, that he, he, he was on purpose, that God did his plans through Christ very much on purpose. So we, are, I think, are encouraged to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because fulfilled prophecies about the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ just prove that he is indeed our Savior and our Lord. He is risen, you say? Yeah. Now, one last thought. One last thought. I think this one really encourages me to believe in Christ personally. Oftentimes, the greatest validation we'll get in life is from an enemy. When you can get someone who doesn't like you to start admitting there are some good things about you and endorsing you, I tell you what, that's a lot more significant than a whole bunch of people loving on you and saying great things about you. For some reason, it really, really is impactful. Um, If those oppose you say good things about you, you're doing something right. And that's what happened in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even enemies corroborated the truth about Christ. Listen to this scripture from Matthew 27, verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake... And all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed what? Surely he was a son of God. And basically what these hardened soldiers who saw so many people die said was something extraordinary just transpired here today. This was no ordinary person. Surely he was the son of God. And I want to say something to you. When your enemies validate you, That really means something. He is risen, you say? So basically this morning, what I'm trying to tell you is that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we're encouraged to believe in these things through history of that time, through eyewitnesses of that time, um, through all the fulfilled prophecy that we see take place in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and even his enemies, his enemies acknowledged him. All these things help push us towards belief. But I'm going to go right back to, to, to that early church history uh, moment that I started with in talking about Peter. When he preached that powerful message, anointed by the person of the Holy Spirit that, that day, the church awoken, so to speak. It began to take root and begin to to take hold. And the very first thing that happened was what? People chose to believe. They just believed. And I believe the Holy Spirit was working on the hearts like crazy and and saying, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. And I want to call us to that today. Not so much because of the reasons I just gave you, and they're valid reasons, amen? And they should help us to be assured in our faith. But I know that the Holy Spirit works this way. That he works in the hearts of people and he will say to you, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. And we have to actively at times resist that to not believe. Would you agree with me on that? Because that's how the Holy Spirit works. And I remember as a young man 
when I was born again in Christ at 13, I just came to this point where I knew I didn't have any answers for life. I didn't know that much about the Bible. I knew some things. But that day, the Holy Spirit pushed me to that altar. I, it felt like someone literally pushed me. And he said, you give your life to Jesus today. And I remember going forward and kneeling on steps that looked like this and crying for two hours and saying, what in the world's happening to me? But I believed that day in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you today. I don't know where you're at, but God does. I want to encourage you today. Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. I imagine he's telling some of us today, you need to believe today. Today's the day you need to believe. Don't resist it. Don't resist it. Your life will never be the same. And God will do amazing things in your life, and he'll begin to move uh, divinely, and the Holy Spirit will do things in you you can't do yourself, and you'll be transformed, and you will become new. We're going to sing about some of that stuff here in just a moment. But I want to encourage you, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, do it today. Just give in. Just give in. Give in to the person, the Holy Spirit, working on your heart. And just pray a simple prayer. I believe in you, Jesus, and I know I need you. Just pray that simple prayer. I know that my sin has separated me from God, and I don't want to be separated. I believe, I believe, I believe. And then just say, Holy Spirit, come into my life and do work. Just you pray that and you mean that, you'll never be the same. Amen? Amen? Now, for those of us who have been around Christianity for a long time, I being one of those, we can't grow tired of the story. Jesus always wants to drill us deeper into things and, and, and illuminate us uh, and open up our minds more and more to his truths. And I pray today that you would understand we are people of the resurrection, amen? The cross does have the final word, and you and I are people of the resurrection. And if we're going to minister effectively to our culture that we find ourselves in today, we have to be people of the resurrection. We have to believe wholeheartedly in who Jesus is, and that he changes the life from the inside out. We talked about 52 people, uh, 51 people being baptized, you know, and these people being born again. But we are people of the resurrection, and that's first and foremost what defines us, and we unapologetically and unshamely say that. Amen? Don't, give, don't, don't think you have to explain it. Just witness to it. Just witness to it. Just say, I believe and witness to it. That's what the early church did. They didn't get into a bunch of apologetics. They just witnessed to the reality of Jesus. And they lived it. And man, what a revolution it started. Let's pray. i got to get to, to the end of this here so we can get on to the rest of the service. Hey, let me read these words though first. They're words of uh, the resurrection. Listen to these words and believe them. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found that stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in cloths, or clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you I was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. We gather here together because we are people who remember these words. He is risen, you say? Now let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you for this day and for what it means. And I want to pray, Lord, that this Sunday that we call Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, that we would be sure in our faith that we'd be people who believe. That would be a key word describing the people of Grace Point. They are people who believe. 
They believe in the story of Christ. They believe in the, in the cross as the final word. They believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believe, they believe, they believe. I pray that would be who we are. And that would define us as your people, God, in this community. I want to pray for some this morning, Lord, who I know your Holy Spirit's working on. Even now, they need to give their life to you. And maybe today is the day where they finally say, I believe. I believe. Jesus, I believe. Come into my heart. Cleanse me from my sins. I believe. Holy Spirit, do a work in me I can't do myself. I believe. I pray someone pray, pray that. And I pray for some of us who maybe have been going through some dry spots, through some hard times, that we'd come back to that basic, I believe. I believe, God, you're at work in me. I believe, God, you're doing good things in me. Even when I don't know what they're, 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 they are and what's going on, I believe, I believe, I choose to believe. I pray that no matter what anyone's going here uh, through today, Lord, that we would all just choose to believe in Christ and the work that he can do and he alone can do in our lives. We love you so much, Jesus. We praise God that you're resurrected. In your name, Jesus.